Phoebe, we just got back from watching West Side Story 30 minutes ago. You didn't have to exaggerate that. We were dying. We were dying. Uh, people got stabbed. That's a spoiler alert for uh, this 40-year-old remake of a film. But uh, this 40-year-old cry, that's for sure. We, we cried a lot. We laughed a lot. We cried a lot. It was just the perfect date movie. I cannot think of anything that you should take someone... You love two more than this. I ever. think I think I had to I think I had to sit on your lap for the latter half of the film just to console myself. I I know, um, guys. Uh, greatest movie of all time. It's a phenomenon. Oh, we're opening a toss. Oh well, that was uh, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll no that's, yeah, that, at that point we okay. play the theme music. They yell about directors, yell about the plot, yell about the acting, but they also talk a lot, but mostly Joshua and Phoebe yell about the movies. And now we're back. Thanks a lot for coming and joining us on the first new episode of Joshua and Phoebe. Talk about movies. Oh, I don't even know. Yell about movies. It's okay. That's the name of the show. And, uh, you know, we, guys, we just... Try to do it again. No, okay, right, it's right. fine. And we uh, we just finished watching West Side Story. We also want to talk about Tick, Tick, Boom, since there's a big Sondheim contingent in both films. And we are joined today by our first guests of the second season, Dennis and Michael Torbett. Phoebe, you want to introduce your best friends? Woo! Oh, yes. Dennis and Michael Scott Torbett yes. are some of my best friends. They are actually our groomsmen, mm-hmm. our bridesmen. Mm-hmm. And uh, nobody knows more about musical theater than Michael in particular, uh, even more than my parents who are Broadway actors. So oh. he's the perfect person to have here. Michael, how many hundreds of thousands of community theater shows have you started? <laughs> Oh, I mean, I I couldn't even count. No, <laughs> I was very active in community theater in my younger years. From... Is there a lyric to any musical that you don't know? Is the real <laughs> there are tons. There are actually tons of musicals that I don't know. A lot of the newer stuff. It's a freakish gift. But uh, a lot of the older stuff, yes, I do know. I mean, it's a like a Rain Man level of skill. Not that I'm saying that you're Rain Man, but you are definitely. No, no. It is. Um, you're definitely gifted. So we're very interested to hear what you and your husband have to say about the phenomenon experience of uh, the Sondheim tour that we just went on. Sondheim tour. I'm glad I married into this family. Uh, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for coming on aboard. Uh, but first, let's go back a little bit and talk about Tick, Tick, Boom that just premiered on Netflix recently. Andrew Garfield stars as... Jonathan Larson. Jonathan Larson, uh, creator of Rent, yes. who died right before it opened. Although apparently it wasn't from stress, like you would think uh, from the weird circumstances that he died under, right? Yeah, I believe it was an aneurysm of yeah. some sort, and it happened the night before the first preview. So, uh, what a lot of people don't realize about Rent is you're seeing it in kind of a, um, a frozen stage. It was most shows they get to work out in front of a live audience. Uh, the show before it opens, and uh, Rent didn't get that. Jonathan Larson didn't get to see his show in front of a live audience and do rewrites. So the show is mm. as it was Pure. Right before he died. Pure. Pure. Yeah. Spectacular show. Yeah. Also a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that Tick, Tick, Boom was incredible, yeah. personally. Mm-hmm. I was really moved by it. I think that the actor who played him, the Englishman. Oh my gosh, my favorite actor. What is his name? Andrew Garfield. Thank you. Andrew, Andrew Gar- I, I know you did. I know you did. I think Andrew Garfield is 
incredible in this. He, apparently, he didn't know that he could sing. Didn't know that he could sing. And Lin-Manuel was so relieved he didn't have to fire him, uh, but believed in him that he <laughs> mm-hmm. could sing. Yeah, this story came from an interview with Stephen Colbert that we watched. Mm-hmm. In preparation for this very discussion right now. <laughs> um, what, did, what did you like most about Tick, Tick, Boom? Anybody? Quick, go. I mean, I was surprised by Vanessa Hudgens in the role. Um, mm. She played... She was very dynamic um, in a way, you know, I think especially coming from High School Musical, mm-hmm. you have a certain idea of who Vanessa Hudgens is. Mm-hmm. and um, I thought she was so good. I didn't even know it was Vanessa Hudgens. You didn't? Oh my I gosh. didn't. Yeah. Um, I, it, didn't, it didn't click for me until somebody told me that. But I was like, certainly this much charisma could not be the... That, She's okay, matured a lot as a performer since grown. her Disney Channel days. Yeah. She has grown quite a bit. Yeah, I was even impressed with her when she did played Rizzo on the Fox um, Grease Live a few years back, mm-hmm. and then she played um, Maureen in the Fox's uh, Rent Live. That's oh, true. Yeah. A few years ago, so, so she has the Larson. <laughs> she has that Larson background. Yeah. He's amazing. Just he for does. the record, just for the record, I have never seen Rent. Just for the record, ever? No, oh, only oh, uh, I'm only I know enough about it to laugh when Team America World Police jokes about it, though. Yeah. So the, everybody is AIDS, 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 AIDS. <laughs> that is the dynamic of the. You got shot. Well, we you know, which is also interesting about Tick, Tick, Boom, too, because, you know, you really see the people that were in Jonathan Larson's life that kind of then allowed him to write the characters in Rent, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that you have those scenes where he's in the diner and you have trans characters and mm-hmm. gay and lesbian characters that are that are kind of in his world and in his friend group. And And he was, you know, of that generation that was unfortunately um, in the wrong time and place. And it became, you know, the age generation, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And um, he lost a lot of friends. And I know I thought, remember uh, when we were watching the movie together, um, right away, like early on, there is a scene where he's flirting with a woman and we were both like caught off guard because we're like, Oh, Jonathan Larson was straight. Like we had, we I all had the revelation, and then we were like, oh, but then it makes sense because in Rent, that kind of central character who is the narrator who brings us into the action, Mark is also straight. He is definitely that um, straight character that I guess in the ni- in the nineties <laughs> audiences needed to bring them into this bohemian world of sure. LGBTQ characters and co- characters of color. You know, to have this white cis. Uh, hetero, you know, narrator, right. <laughs> male narrator. Right. Not that not that, that term was around in the 90s. No, no, not at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, also, the uh, it wasn't an original idea to uh, follow your dreams no matter what, but uh, Tick, Tick, Boom really hit home, like, the pressures on people like Andrew Garfield. It took a whole week until, like, you know, of uh, frustration, and his girlfriend is, like, telling him she was trying to decide between her job and him, and he, he never could give her five minutes. He couldn't give anybody five minutes because Tick, Tick, Boom was, you know, kind of referring to, you have to do it now. And the whole film, he's like, I'm about to turn 30. So I know. I'm about to hit the 27. What's wrong with me? <laughs> the existential dread of turning 30, which yeah. made me feel so old. Right. Seriously. <laughs> right. Uh, Seriously. Who else did that? Bo Burnham did that? Where he's like, I'm like, give me a break. I'm going. Oh, by the way, uh, me and Phoebe got married, you guys. Uh <gasps> We were not married when we recorded that pig episode last time, which was kind of our soft launch last week. Uh, we recorded that episode a few months back, and this is our oh, first... Oh, you were married for that episode? 
No, we were not oh married. Oh, we weren't even engaged, actually. We weren't even engaged. We're we're engaged. engaged. How quick time is. I don't even think we came <laughs> out on, on social media yet. Mm -mm. As a no, we weren't. No. We were, no. I was, oh. He wasn't allowed to tell people that we were together, <laughs> by the way. Oh, yeah. one of those uh, I was situations. Just, yeah, yeah, I think in the episode, I was like, this is Phoebe? <laughs> right. So... <laughs> Hopefully this works out. <laughs> uh, I, I, think I'm, I think I'm allowed to tell them we're married now. I uh, uh, hope so. Okay. It's my Christmas present it's to like, you. Right. You, have, you have had three wedding ceremonies. So. <laughs> I, 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 I think we, it's we, we did three. We met at a funeral. We had three weddings since then. Yeah. So it's been it's a the opposite. Story. It's three wedding. Right. Three weddings. So speaking of funerals, know, just, both yeah. Jonathan Larson mm -hmm. and Stephen Sondheim have, are now dead. Wow. Thanks, thanks wow. for bringing the mood down, Debbie. I'm Donner. just saying. Just saying. It's Michael's usual spot. I thought yeah. you yeah. might appreciate a way to get back to our discussion. I, I appreciate a great segue, and that's why I married you. One of the reasons. I think it's very bizarre that Jonathan Larson died at the timing that he did. I think it's very bizarre that Lin Manuel, of all people, are actually telling the story because I think that he's a medium. He has some sort of like eighth sense hmm. of telling people who've passed on very important stories uh, had no idea that this, everybody's talking about this being a movie about mental health. Yeah. I didn't pick up on this. I thought it was just like, you know, Jonathan Larson's genius. Yeah. Um, can we talk about like, did you see the, the mental health? I was picking up on like an artist's, like, like we said with Tick, Tick, Boom, it's like his struggle to get his art out there and it's amazing that Jonathan Larson did die so young and it's like he almost knew like the I need to get this done I need to get this done and it's like and that's also come, like Hamilton I was just about to say like Hamilton and like right running out of, running time. Out of time and it's interesting spooky it's I very think it's spooky, spooky. Yeah. and I also think it's spooky that this was Stephen Sondheim's I mean maybe only cameo I don't know I mean I'm sure there are plenty of theater buffs that uh, know something that I don't. But for me, it was the first cameo I ever saw him do, because he's pretty reserved. Oh, well, there's the movie Camp with Anthony Ramos. Not Anthony Ramos. Sorry. Robin DeJesus. Robin DeJesus. Sorry. Robin DeJesus, who was uh, in Tick, Tick, Boom, um, his first big thing was the movie Camp about a bunch of theater kids. Have you heard of Sage Storm Manor? That oh, camp yes, Camp. In, yes. 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 There's a movie about that camp. And it was one of Robin Jesus' first movies. And in that, they all get a visit from Stephen Sondheim. And that's he, oh. that's a cameo as himself. I just thought it was so odd that he makes a rare appearance right before he passes away. Yeah. It's like a week of, yeah. after this film was released, he died. I yeah. mean, and then and also, voice only. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then his career began and ended with West Side Story. And Yes. Absolutely. So there's a lot of spooky, mm -hmm. the Broadway theater ghosts are, are swerving and circling above us. Uh, and then Lin-Manuel did um, that beautiful tribute to Sondheim a few days after he passed um, in Times Square. They got the Broadway community together. I didn't hear about this. Oh, really? Oh, no. Google this or YouTube it um, and watch it. But they got the Broadway community. Everybody who was currently in a show right now. Um, they went on those steps in Times Square, mm -hmm. those red steps in Times mm -hmm. Square, okay. and they sang Sunday from Sunday oh, Morning wow. George. Oh, because yeah. he died oh. on a Sunday? No, no, they sang, actually it was a Sunday that they sang it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm on Sondheim Overload here between mm -hmm. Tick, Tick, Boom, um, which I know is about Jonathan Larson, and, and West Side Story. Um, so with that, uh, I just have to ask, uh, Phoebe, do you know when you're a Jet? 
<laughs> Once you're a jet. Well, you're I am west. definitely a jet because uh-huh. I grew up and was born on the Upper West Side. Right. Can I brag a minute? Yes, we please were do. in the Lincoln Square movie mm-hmm. we were too. movie theater. We were too. At 68th and Broadway. At 68th and Broadway. So and we got were. off at 68th, and it was like in that scene, they show the 68th Street. So, anybody in the United States or Hick in the world, if you haven't seen this film yet, I highly recommend flying to New York. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing it on the uh, real Upper West Side in Lincoln Square because you're seeing it where they're doing their dance numbers. This was well, a cinematic. And I experience. think it was so. Br- I actually read an interview with Tony Kushner, who, in, who wrote the screenplay. Who wrote the screenplay? He's of course known for writing Angels in America and Carolina Change, some of the greatest pieces of theater of the 20th century. And it's interesting. The original uh, book of the stage play of West Side Story was written by author Lorenz who was a gay Jewish man, and so was Tony Kushner, who's a gay mm. Jewish man. And of course, so was Stephen Sondheim. I mean, it's getting a lot of criticism, too, because it's like, these white Jewish men are telling the story of Puerto Ricans. <laughs> but, but anyway, I digress. I was reading an interview with Tony Kushner, and he lives right behind Lincoln Center. And so he was really thinking about his neighborhood writing this, and he, of course, was watching the original movie, and he no, uh, noted that the original filmed on these streets before Lincoln Center was built, when they were filming the original um, movie. And, you know, the barrio (laughs) was down here. And, of course, it was originally populated by the Irish and the Italians. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, in the 50s, with that great migration out of the city, um, the... White immigrants, the Irish and the Italians, were, and the Jews were moving out of New York and into the suburbs. But the Puerto Ricans at that time were moving in um, because, you know, the, it had just become a territory. And they were all moving to New York and moving into neighborhoods like this. And then um, the city of New York came up with plans to create this cultural center that we all know now is Lincoln Center. But in order to do that, they had to take eminent domain and evict people. Robert Moses. Yeah. And I liked that they had a... Robert Moses sign in the movie. Yes. They pulled a lot from the history of what was happening on the Upper West Side. Yes. More than they did in the original. Oh, absolutely. I don't want to say that the original is garbage. We all love the original. No, we all. I've never seen the original, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, you're in for a treat. You should definitely do it. I've never seen a revival be equal to or better than, dare I say, the original. They pulled so much from the history of what was happening, including that moment where they were showing protesters with the Robert Moses signs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because, like, whether it was the Jets who were just latchkey kids from Irish and Italian immigrant homes or the Puerto Rican immigrants who did have a strong sense and and connection and family, they were all being evicted and they were all going into the projects that are still there and still falling apart Mm -hmm. uh, behind Lincoln Center. And what I liked about it, like you said, the uh, white people versus the Puerto Ricans, to me, it felt like a microcosm of America, which in extension, like New York City as a cultural melting pot, always has been in one sense or another. But now it uh, strikingly reminds me of like the city versus uh, country dynamic of America. Like, you know, people in New York City versus 
people in Albany, you know, like that fight for who's going to pay for my bridges, you know, or people in mm-hmm. Utica don't want to pay for these bridges. Mm-hmm. Why, it's, you know, it's like, why can't we get along? Because we're fighting over land. We have been since America started, since we kicked out the Indians and the Irish and buried the Chinese in order to build railroads across the country. And now here we are again with this incredible, incredible revival of West Side Story, reenacting the same story all over again. One thing I thought was also interesting was during it, I forget the name of the character, the trans character. Anybody's. Anybody's. Okay, so Anybody's is the there. The name is perfect. And yes. Joshua leans over to me and goes, was this character also in the original? I'm like, yes. 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 It was. So, But they definitely, I think in the original, treated Anybody's as a tomboy. They didn't have the mm-hmm. word trans. As we said before, they didn't well, have trans. They didn't have trans in this movie either. And but, they didn't because it. Takes but that business. character was way more than a tomboy. Like no, and this one I felt like it was a lot more like yes, this is a trans character, and they had a trans actor mm-hmm. playing. Oh the really? Part, which was very important. Oh, interesting. Yeah, as for in, representation. As in that was a trans man. Yes. Really? Actually, I don't. I don't want to misgender them. They may be non-binary. Let me it, look up. Iris Menace is not using pronouns in their bio, so I'm just going to assume they're gender, not binary. Okay, so we have equal representation in the role, more so than we had originally. Yes. Excellent. Very appropriate for this role, which um, I I almost wondered if there was, like, more to the character in, like, the original script. Would you know anything about that? Like, uh, like they seem to say, you know, I'll, at the end... Um, would you? Would, nobody's is the character's name. Anybody's, Anybody's was uh, begging Tony right before the climactic, um, you know, showdown, saying, "I can hide you. You can this place yeah, to hide." Like, that, like they had a connection to it. Wow, right? I didn't pick up on you that, Joshua. I mean? That's so yes. deep. I and have that, places to hide that you nobody knows. Yeah, and that's wow. actually in there. Um, it's always sh- that that character slips and slides out of the shadows. I think that was a line that was. Taken mm-hmm. right from Arthur Lorenz. When I was in the play, there was a character, a Jet, who was a little more central in the play called Action that I played in um, when I did it. In the Action. Community theater. Yeah, I remember Action. Action, yeah. And he's kind of not really in this version so much. He was, They did say Action at one point, and he definitely was a character. But um, in the play, he's a little more central. And he was the character that they did have that line... Um, at the end, where he says to anybody, you've done good, buddy boy. And that's, like, the first time anybody gets that, like, um, that acknowledgement that they are one of the boys, you know, which I think that's what anybody is trying for. The entire, yes, exactly. That anybody just wants to be one of the boys. And as anybody isn't being treated as one of the boys mm-hmm. because um, anybody was assigned female at birth and is treated that way. Mm-hmm. They were seen as outliers. So I don't remember anybody's having an assault on an officer in the original. That scene was all new. That whole, oh. yeah, there was no scene in, um, Officer Krupke in the original gets kind of thrown around because, you know, West Side Story is a dark piece, but we they found this humor from this dark place. In the original play, um, G. Officer Krupke comes in the second act after Riff and Bernardo have been killed, spoiler alert, <laughs> and it is this, um, Sondheim even said it was in the second act in the play because, you know, Shakespeare, in all his tragedies, always puts a clown in the second 
a half because it lightens it up because otherwise you would just be depressed through the whole thing. So we experienced that as well because after Bernardo and Riff were killed, I feel oh my pretty. gosh, I Feel Pretty came out. Yes. And we had a hard time being able to enjoy this incredible scene in the middle of Gimbal's, by the way. I went to Gimbal's as a little girl. They had a much better Santa Claus than they did at Macy's. And Macy's is pretty good, but I do miss Gimbal's. And did you feel pretty? <laughs> Always with you. Because I'm loved by a pretty wonderful, wonderful boy. boy. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Right on. Call back. Great. Um, yeah, so we were, you were having the worst time. Like, like Phoebe said, like you said about Shakespeare. Yeah, very much a riff, modern day riff on Romeo and Juliet. So there's the, the tragic knife attack with uh, yeah, Riff and Bernardo both die. And then right after that, it goes into the I Feel Pretty scene, which, by the way, I want to say, since I have not watched the play or the original film, it was very weird to me how I knew like almost every single one of these songs growing up. <laughs> yes, because they're so ingrained in our culture. They mm. were in so many commercials. Yeah. Remember Tonight was in like a right. Mountain Dew commercial oh, a long time ago. this must be what it is, And Joshua. there's a place for us has been in a... Uh, Somewhere, even even, even Officer Krupke, I knew that song. Yeah. It's like, how do I know this? I never saw this movie or it's, this or this play, or this musical. I was talking to Dennis. There's like hardly any movie version of a show keeps every single song, and both movie versions kept every single song because there's not a filler or dud in this whole show. Every song is brilliant. Every song is brilliant, and thank you to the entire production and the director for staying true to the period of the script. Okay, so I, I was so delighted to visit New York City in 1957, 59. I felt like I was going into a time machine. How good is Rita Moreno? Can we just, oh, I know. she broke my heart. Brilliant. She's brilliant. Interesting that they gave the song um, somewhere somewhere yeah. to her and i didn't feel like it was just because it was an homage to a broadway legend it actually kind of worked it did when i they announced that they were writing a new role for her and that they were kind of taking out doc and making it her i was eye rolling a little bit i mean i was like glad that rita moreno was going to be i mean she is the best part of the original film mm -hmm. <laughs> um and i was glad that she was going to not have her legacy erased, but I was a little wary of like how they were doing totally. it. And I was just floored at how, um, I think it added to the story. It didn't take away. Um, you know, if you know the original doc is the character that she kind of stood in for. And then in this, they made it that she was doc's widow. Mm -hmm. Right. And it kind of, um, I was talking to somebody else today and they were saying that to them, it actually made it make more sense. Um, to them, why Tony is so enamored with Maria, because he had seen that kind of relationship before with the people that he admired and who kind of were surrogate parents to him. So it almost gives it more of a connection mm -hmm. and makes the romance a little more, gives it a little more depth, mm -hmm. as opposed to just him seeing a pretty girl at a dance. And mm -hmm. um, but I will challenge you on your... On your notion that every song is brilliant. Uh, I mean, I loved all the songs in the moment, but now... Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> We're talking Leonard Bernstein and Steven Sondheim. I know. Listen, listen uh, well, just tell me this. Do you guys honestly think every single song is A+, plus, or are some of them maybe an A-? minus? For instance, the second or maybe the third song in the movie uh, that Tony was singing in Rita Moreno's shop, 
Oh my god, one of the most brilliant. I, oh my cannot god. Cannot remember the name. Anything Something's about coming. I cannot remember anything about Something that song or Could be, who knows? Oh my god. Actually, this is a personal note. When Joshua and I first reconnected in a funeral, and then we Spoiler talked. Spoiler alert. Just kidding. <laughs> and we talked for seven hours afterwards. He told me a little bit of his story and where he was. And I, of course, as I would, went to show tunes and said, man, your story reminds me of Tony in West Side Story. Could be, who knows? And then he told me that he had never seen it before. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. But that mm-hmm. is what I thought of you. Little did I know that I was his Maria. Uh-huh. <laughs> Little did you know. Well, here it is. I, uh, Phoebe. <laughs> okay. Uh, having, having established that, all the other songs and choreography and direct art direction, just absolutely phenomenal. That one on like a smaller, more intimate uh, moment just didn't feel as pivotal to the film for me. Uh-huh. Uh, could be, who knows? I mean... I respect your opinion, but I disagree. I just cannot sit around and mm-hmm. and talk about the, the material. If we're talking about whether or not they're doing a good job of resurrecting and reviving what was a perfect musical. Right. Because there's a lot of bad musical theater out there. Michael, you're way more forgiving than I am. <laughs> also, I want to point out, uh, before we go any further, that Michael, you said uh, in a text to me, I can't remember the exact words, but you, you told me, and Phoebe was pretty excited about this when we were going to watch the film recently, you said that it was superior to the original. Would you, would you like to comment on that? I know. and I, I Controversy. I will say that when they announced that Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner were going to be taking on a remake of West Side Story, I thought it was blasphemous. <laughs> I thought, you know, um, West Side Story is this perfect work of art, and yes, like, uh, it should be theatrically revived, but why would you mess with the film? Except for, and the issue I've always had, too, with the film, it, it isn't perfect. Um, it, it, it's close to perfect, but the casting, you know, there's brown face in it. Um, Natalie Wood was Ukrainian. She was not Puerto Rican. She was in any kind of Latin descent. And I love that you know that. George Chakiris, who played the original Bernardo, was Greek. Like, so these were people doing brown face. Mm-hmm. And so um, it is good that we do have a movie that is rectifying that situation. Mm-hmm. And I would also like to acknowledge, as a white person, I can only speak from... Um, my white point of view, but I do know too that there are people that are even upset with this casting. Um, and I'm not going to speak for you know all Latin people because mm-hmm. they're not a monolith. Mm-hmm. But um, I will tell tell our listeners mm-hmm. uh, who you're re- re- referencing. And, well, and also, I just want to add. Uh, this reminds me of the controversy about In the Heights, where they had uh, much lighter skinned people than actually live in the Heights. That's and true. then while and then while watching this movie, I thought of uh, during that I thought of In the Heights because when I watched that scene for the first time on film, I thought this is what Lin Manuel Miranda was trying to do with In the Heights. Right. Unsuccessful, I might add. It's it's a uh, In the Heights fun film, but just like uh, doesn't compare to this in any way with the uh, yeah. spectacle, song craft, songmanship. Uh, this is what musical theater is supposed to be. Yeah, um, there are. Criticisms that it has been white men writing this story when there is a lot of to do with the Puerto Rican community. Originally, they're Jewish men. Yes, originally West Jewish gay men. 
Originally, West Side Story, when it was being developed, they were writing it as a story that took place on the Lower East Side, and it was between Catholics and Jews. Okay. Wow. And then the year that this show was slated to go to Broadway, there was another a play going out with the same theme about Catholics and Jews on the Lower East Side. And so they chose to bring it to the West Side and uh, make it about the uh, whites versus the Puerto Rican community. Wow. Okay. A lot of history. Um, a lot of history. What yeah. was your favorite song, everybody? Let's just go around the room. He had something. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, oh, no, I was, just, I was just speaking to what you had said before about um, sort of why this movie, why this version of the movie is better than the original. I think the reason for me that that was the case is because of the historical context. Yes. That, that provides, and we, talked, we touched on it a little bit, but understanding more about what was happening in New York in that period, right? Like, to then, for, for me, like, it was something that was completely oblivious. Like, I didn't even realize it took place in the Upper West Side. I, you wow. know, being, living in Washington Heights, just assumed that it was mm. something that was happening more uptown. Mm. But to see that image of Lincoln Center and to be sitting there mm-hmm. in, in that space and to have, to have that understanding and to just see New York, like, in that era, mm-hmm. to see them go up to the cloisters yes. in Inwood. Yes. In, in which is in our neighborhood, like yeah. to see that that you know was very much a part of the their their lives at that point, right? And like to get on the subway and to just see and understand what they may have heard or see what they may have seen mm-hmm. to really kind of bring you into the world a little bit more mm-hmm. that I didn't necessarily get from the 1950s version, right? right. Yeah. And I I want to touch on that what you said, uh, which reminds me of another one of the of the themes, which uh, was fighting for land, fighting for survival, which really hit home when the detective. Asked Riff, I believe. No, he, he told Riff and the rest of the Jets, I'm going to lock you guys up so long that, uh, forget, uh, this quote is off, but it was something to the effect of these buildings you see pretty soon they're going to be filled with rich people and yeah. uh, all yeah. these Puerto Ricans are going to be the ones serving and you guys are going to be elsewhere. So it's, yeah. They'll be the doormen. Right, they'll be the doormen. Yeah. Something that came through for me in this modernized production of the difference between the Jets and the Sharks and where the crime sort of was born from. Mm-hmm. The Sharks were oppressed, targeted by the police, harassed, and they are sick of it and responding against a system and society that they can't win in. It's all a response, right? It was it's more clear in this version. Mm-hmm. It's not just two Crystal. rival gangs. It's they had to form the gang because when they got here, that's the only way they could protect they their properties. They lived there. They have a, mm-hmm. they could protect their homes. Um, unfortunately, Robert Moses was about to mow through a whole of their homes, and then the Jets. It was because they were latchkey kids that didn't have proper parenting or love or community and so they formed that community of themselves and they were grasping for the only thing that they had was their race Mm -hmm. um, any sort of illusions of power that they had as a result of it and their land yep and that they were actually part of the perpetrators and that scene where they all become rapists yeah spoiler can we talk about that can we talk about that i was floored was that in the original yes it is yes it is okay Yes. But you have to give the context of this. But scene. they don't show the women bands together. They don't. And that's what always has bothered me about that scene is the woman, the two, Graziella and I forget the other girl's name, they 
kind of sit there passively and let these boys rape Anita. And oh, it, I didn't get that from... Oh, you mean in the original? In the original. Yes. In the original, yes. Yes. And it always confused me. And actually, when I was in it, they cut the girls from that scene just because they were like, we can't have the girls sit there and, like, let that happen. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And Tony Kushner gives Graziella a moment to be like, hey... Get out of here. Nobody wants you here. And she doesn't say that in a, you know, she says it in a very political way. Remember? She mm-hmm. said it like nobody wants you here, but it was a uh, get out. Or no, something. leave. Leave. She says leave. Leave. Nobody wants you here. And it was a very political way of saying it. She was trying to help her without also betraying her, mm-hmm. alle- you know, allegiance to the Jets. And then they raped them all by shutting out, shutting their voice up. Mm-hmm. And pushing them out. As rape does. And pushing them out. Uh, that was a beautiful moment for me just to see suddenly it, it, it change from white and brown to male to female, which I thought was an interesting shift. It was. It, it was definitely mm-hmm. um, and, added and then, so many dimensions to that scene. And then as bad as you feel for her, does it make you feel, well, as bad as you feel for her right in that moment, just to realize that she came there just essentially to kill Tony with a lie. To say, oh, by the way, um, Maria's dead. You know, he give that message yeah. to Tony. Maria's been shot, which is a lie. She came there essentially to assassinate Tony. Well, I don't think she to. came there to. I think after, Not originally. No, no, she comes down there to help. To help. And then it's the rape where she's like, oh, really? fuck you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to. Yeah. And you see the shift in her. I thought, hmm. at least to me, I saw it on Ariana DeBose's face. Okay. She turns around and they, hmm. they. She looked right at the camera. Yeah, I, yeah. I, at least that's why I saw on her face. It was Hate. fuck these guys. Well, it's interesting. I used to, because the song at the end, she goes, "I can." Well, after Tony is killed by Chino, Maria says, "I can kill now because I have hate." Yes, and she had hate, so she was able to kill Tony. Yeah, uh, very. I, I felt like that was the fundamental message of the entire. Yeah. I mean, there's so many messages, but I would say the... the yeah, that's that's another one, what what anger can do to you. And even, like, a, I, I really liked how in the big fight scene, uh, Tony... Um, it was a reenactment where the, his character had gone to jail for a year, and they talk about what was it for, and he says, for almost killing someone. And so... That's he, new, he, too, which was... Oh, was it? It's new, oh, well, yeah. He, okay, well, yeah, in this, in this film, he describes himself being, like, one punch away from killing someone, and he gets Bernardo down in a similar situation, and he lets him go, although... Obviously, he wasn't one punch away from killing him because he, then he gets up and then tries to kill him. Mm. Bernardo tries to kill him also, but yeah. And then that is what led to Bernardo's death because he just wouldn't stay down. But at the same time, uh, it just reminds us that uh, there's nothing new under the sun, says the Bible. So uh, if you let your anger get the better of you, that's what happens. It's better to just not get into that situation. Mm. You know, he, he came there to break up a fight. And instead of leaving, he stayed. So, bad form, Tony. Chino. Can we talk about Chino for five seconds, please? I mean, how, again, Tony Kushner has taken this archetype character who, in the original, has maybe four lines. Right. And given him an entire backstory. Right. And an entire character, an entire oh, arc. He originally was Maria's date at the da- at the at the big dance scene, which, by the way, was we got to admit, was the best musical number period right oh, <laughs> absolutely okay it was it, yes. it was it was fabulous yeah and in the original literally chino's part is um maria gets introduced to him to go to the dance with him she's not so smitten with him and in the original he's part of the gang and i thought it was brilliant that tony kushner made him this 
on the outsider to the gang, and that's why Bernardo wants his sister to be with him, because this is not a violent man. This is a man that fixes adding machines, and he's an educated man, and he's going to do right by his sister. Like, there's, like, so many layers that were added to this that are not in the original. Mm. In the original, he's just one of the gang members, and he doesn't have this whole arc of getting the gun. You don't see him get the gun. All of a sudden, just anybody comes out and says, hey, I hear Chino has a gun, and he's looking for Tony. And he's a specter throughout the whole second act in the original. But you don't see him. He's not a character, you know? He's like a character that's introduced in the first, and then you don't see him again until he comes out and shoots Tony. He literally takes the fall for all of the deaths that happen. I mean, I don't know what... We don't know what happens to the Jets or the rest of the Sharks, but we do know at the end, Rita Moreno, she's holding his arm, and it looks like she's supporting him. She looks like she's loving him. Mm-hmm. She's a constant source of love and unification. Mm-hmm. And she's holding his arm, but she's also delivering him to justice. Mm-hmm. And then they take him in, and I realize Cheeto is, is bearing... He's the fall guy. He's the fall guy. Yeah. I mean, he's not guiltless. He's not without guilt, sure. Uh, but he is definitely taking the fall. And both Riff and Bernardo dying uh, really hit me so hard. We gasped audibly when that happened. Uh, how did I forget that that happened? I didn't forget, but it was a completely new experience with these two. And they nailed that New York accents back in the 50s, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, who is a, Michael yeah. Face? Is his name Michael? Michael Feist, yeah. He uh, oh. he originated one of the roles in Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. Okay. So, yeah. He's incredible, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Everybody... I would have guessed he was in Billy Elliot, by the way. <laughs> no, but one of the Jets was. Actually, no, Bernardo was one of the uh, three uh, Billy Elliots that won the Tony. It was oh. it's one of the few cases because... How about that? Because Billy Elliots rotate, they all won the Tony together as a unit that year for Best Actor. Bernardo was fantastic. Chino was fantastic. Tony. Tony and, reminded me yeah. of my father when they called him the Polish slur, of course, because my father's Eastern European. I was like, that's why. Oh, and that, that reminds me of my, one of my favorite lines in the film uh, when Bernardo was saying, oh, Tony, he's a Polak. And then um, she uses the Puerto Rican. She, oh, she was, like, yeah. she was like, oh, she was like, a spick is calling him a Polak. Now you sound like an American. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gosh. I haven't heard those terms in a really long time. Yeah, not, not, I feel like nobody knows those terms and that they were resurrected in the revival. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I think I feel like they're. I, well, I hope they're forgotten. I mean, well, I was. It's interesting. I was talking to a colleague. We were talking about that scene. And I was like, oh yeah, and they used the Polish slur. And my colleague's like, I'm Polish. I didn't know there was a Polish slur. <laughs> and she's like, what's the Polish slur? And I was like, you don't know, really? And she's like, no. What is it? And I was like, Polak. And she was like. <laughs> Wait, I thought that's what Polish people were called. I thought I was a Polak. Oh my, oh gosh. my gosh! So, Dennis, how do you feel uh, as a Polish American? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I knew that that was a slur, <laughs> so I didn't have that same experience. But they, I thought, I did also think it was interesting though that they had the Italians, the Irish, and the Poles together in one gang. Is that true to history? Would that have happened? Was it really I mean, just... Probably at that generation, I think, when those uh, groups are first arriving, they would not have been together. They would have had to join together. Because like, in their mind, like the Puerto Ricans coming in were taking over, so they needed to join together. And whatever like their parents' generation, like Irish hating Italians, hating Poles, hating 
whatever other white person or <laughs> Caucasian from Europe was coming over, there would now was a something unifying them together. But isn't um, that the American story? <laughs> uh, it kind of is. That's, that was yeah, a joke. Now you sound like an American. That's yeah. the American story. Who can we hate together? <laughs> New York is still just as segregated as it was. Oh, like of course. Now, yes. And on an 11-mile island. It's yeah. incredibly segregated amongst mm-hmm. 9 million people. Well, with that somber note, uh, let's talk about favorite scenes before we give our uh, ratings for the film. All right, Dennis, go. Um, favorite scene? I mean, I think the most powerful scene for me was when Anita and Maria have the confrontation when Anita mm. sees Ooh. Tony in the window. A boy like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a boy like that. Yeah. And I think for a variety of reasons, I think it's like the the most tense moment in the film, like between these two women. I think their acting was so spectacular and Ariana DeBose is like definitely someone who's come up in the last several years. Like and seeing her in the prom and like the and Schmigadoon, she has this very like like happy like energy kind of not like the most profound characters, and to see her come into this role and really take Anita, which is the most iconic, probably probably one of the most iconic roles from the original mm-hmm. and from the from the musical well theater canon, yeah, <laughs> canon to take that and to make it her own and to do it so powerfully and to act the house down like through a boy like that and mm-hmm. you know and be able to kind of bring that range of emotions that's required where she has all the hate in her heart but then mm-hmm. is seeing maria in front of her like begging for so powerful for forgiveness and you always wonder how how does she forgive so quick not that she's forgiven but i don't she says don't ever ask don't ever me ask that. me yeah. don't ever but ask she me. does relate to her and then maria says can you forgive me she relates to her woman to woman. She knows love and the power of love. Mm-hmm. And she's grieving her lost love. Yeah. And so she's honoring her love to Bernardo yeah. by honoring his sister's love to Tony, even if it is his murderer. And they connect for that moment so strongly and inspires her to go down to warn the Jets and Tony of what's next. Uh, Michael, favorite scenes, moments, dance numbers, what have you? Oh my gosh, it's so hard to pick, but I just um, feel compelled to talk about it, is um, the dance number, um, musical number, Cool, which has a different life in every version. Mm -hmm. And I really thought it was interesting how they introduced that gun Mm-hmm. so early in the film which mm-hmm. it isn't introduced in the film or in the, the original film or the play ever it just all of a sudden oh she no has a gun <laughs> you know it's never a riff's gun or anything and this is something new that um tony kushner has added and the fact that cool kind of became tony trying to talk riff out of it and to get that gun away from him that's something that you know, that was not. The that's original. not the original. Oh, the, right. the oh, the dance fight on the on the, yes. on the scaffolding, yeah. or, the, or the jumping back and forth across holes. And, it was and not about Tony trying to get that gun away from. Him. It was about them keeping cool, cool before the rumble. Before the rumble, because yeah. they were so angry. Yeah, it in the original the- play, before the rumble, and then in the movie, they switched Officer Krupke, which had originally been in the second act, because in the movie they felt like they couldn't have that relief in the second act. They put Officer Krupke in the first act where Cool usually is in the play and put Cool in the second act and it was 
them after Riff's death being like, we need to stay cool and on our heads because the Puerto Ricans have already killed our leader and they're going to come for us. And mm-hmm. how do we keep our head in the game? And it's like a very head in the game song. And I just thought it was brilliant how they reframed that whole thing and um, gave Tony's character even more depth. And mm-hmm. it gave that whole lead up more urgency. Mm-hmm. And it felt new. And I, was, I just loved that I was sitting in West Side Story and even though it felt the same it felt like the West Side Story I always loved it also felt like there was just this new energy that I didn't it was it felt phenomenal yeah it It was was miraculous how did they do that how did they stay so true to the original and make everything new fresh yeah without it feeling forced or like a lecture or contrived it was just enhanced it was Oh, and here's another window. Yeah. That allowed them to comment on things that were going through today without recreating a classic yeah. piece of art. I also love, sorry, real quick. My favorite, oh. my favorite scene, I think, is always the, the balcony scene, the fire escape scene. And I thought it was brilliant how he couldn't get up to her so quick. And they had that great between them and mm-hmm. how it, it made the tension and the... Um, the energy through that whole piece even more alive and more like it just uh, just that simple thing of having them separated for so long before he could finally climb up there and be up there with her just it was it was beautiful it yeah. was so beautiful and the actors were so pure and so true and i believed them and i felt that passion there was no bad egg in the entire production like every every performer was just so in it. Um, all right. Well, Phoebe, what was the most striking thing to you? What do you want to talk about uh, as we wrap this up? I agree with Michael and Dennis on those two scenes. They they were standing out to me. As, you know, when you first asked that question, I was thinking of those two scenes in particular. Um, so now that they've been addressed and included, I'm just thinking about these performances that yeah. were so... These are young actors that were playing a period piece so authentically that I felt them. How do I put this? They were not a caricature. Yeah. They had the accents. They had the vibe. Where they drew that from, I don't know. But Michael Feist. You, you, you believed he was ready to die at the scene in the bar where he gets yes. the gun from the two older guys. Uh Whatever, what, the guy with the gun, whatever so he says. Remind to, me of your father. Yeah. And there was like some discussion of how much is your life worth, and he puts the gun to his head and he says, go ahead. And, and you believed, even when and he you gets believed, killed. Right. Yes. And you believed he was, he was ready to die. Even when he got killed, he was crying, but he looked at Tony and said, it's okay. Because he didn't value his life. Nobody yeah. had ever valued his life. He had nothing to lose. And the greatest thing he could lose was his life mm-hmm. for some sort of cause. I thought all of the performances were so pure and authentic and incredible. And I loved walking around the Upper West Side in that era. It made me wonder, were those stores there? Did they Mm -hmm. go, how deep did they dig into the history? Anyway, uh, my favorite uh, musical number is uh, whatever the In America song is called. 
America, uh, yeah. I want to be in America. Exactly, yes. Uh, just the, the brightness of it, the lightness of it, the, the way it used the entire cast of characters, even the other smaller characters without any any real lines, except for in those moments, just shown brightly. You believed each one of them was a real character. Uh, it was gorgeous dancing, acting, cinematography, story, and that was my favorite musical number and then my favorite moment was uh when tony is told that maria is killed and then you know it, it could have been i mean it could have been just this overacting like william shatner kind of what happened to my yeah maria why <laughs> but it, it wasn't you just uh you just see him falling over to the ground and then going out in the streets and yelling and we went along for the ride and you really fell it. apart when you saw maria running towards him Delightfully. It's getting you even right now. <laughs> I did. I did. Why did that get you so much? Because well, I believe in love. That's why I married you. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh, and it's, you know, fresh, right? New love. Okay, and uh, and that is our discussion of West Side Story. Uh, does anyone not have a 10 out of 10 rating for this film? 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. A million out of 10. A million <laughs> out on, of 10. Hold on, hold on, but you like you, you find like the 10 somethings out of something. I you know. We, that the, that's the that. thing we do. Uh, okay, it was... Uh, 10 guns out of 10. 10 <laughs> sharks out of 10, you guys. 10, 10 sharks out of 10. Blades. No. 10 <laughs> Yeah, it's something fun. It adds a little flavor to it. Um, yeah, ratings, anyone? No, I, I, I agree. Ten, ten jets out of ten. <laughs> ten sharks. Ten sharks out of ten. T- Eleven sharks out of ten. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the hard relaunch of Joshua and Phoebe Yell About Movies. Hooray! They yell about directors, yell about the plot They yelled about the acting, hope they let the guests talk But mostly Josh 